Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, October 5th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. And they're available on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that web page and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? That chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work, That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a discussion. If you're listening through the archives and you would like to submit a comment or a question, 
You can do so through email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. You can email Jeannie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get a comment or a question from you, we'll address it on the show and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that happened, and you can listen back to the archives for the feedback. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. So let us know, if you're willing, how we can be of more service to you, And as I say that, I think about one of the things I wanted to talk about today, which is that most of us go through our lives without any conscious awareness of how much we're impacting others. And, um, you know, as soon as I say others, I think about the uh, Eastern guru who was asked by his students, you know, um, Master, uh, what do we do about the anger of others? And the Master said, there are no others. Now, the conscious logical mind has a great difficulty with this because it sees lots of, quote, evidence, close quotes, which is our perception, that it uses to arrange thought patterns that convince it that it is separate and yet our greatest scientists tell us everything is energy and all energy is connected and there's quantum entanglement and there's you know no such thing as being separate or having um, action which is completely independent of any other action So everything we say and do, everything that we're pouring our mind energy into in a creative flow, all of it, is a contribution to the flow of life, to the creation, to the force of life itself expanding. And so uh, most of us don't get to see any direct conscious logical connection between our actions and the uh, immense ripple effects that extend out from there. But it's ancient wisdom that this is the case, and there's the movie It's a Wonderful Life, which tries to give a very graphic demonstration of this. And in it, there's a character who's very upset because of a certain set of circumstances and considers taking his life and an angel comes down and decides to show him what life would have been like without him. And all of the blessings, all of the positive effects, all of the people's lives that have been transformed for the better because of his presence, because of his choices and his actions. And most of us don't get to see that. But the point of the movie is, it's there for all of us. You know, and people in Hollywood might want to glorify George, 
from the movie. But the essence of the great spiritual teaching is that's the truth for all of us. Every one of us is in the process of contributing to the flow of life. And the core of this work is for our, you know, the invitation is for us to wake up to that and to choose to live in direct observation rather than from dogma or belief and just pay really close attention to how is it working out, whatever I'm choosing. Now, the last couple of times that we've had people call in the show and discussion happen, it's happened once or twice already this week, and it's happened also in the support group, people either make a statement or ask me a question about, so is this the healthy thing? And I, I, I struggle with that. I, 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 want, I want us all to understand that if you put somebody, including me, on a pedestal, and you let that somebody tell you what's healthy or not healthy, that's the opposite of what we're suggesting in this work. If you're getting advice from me, or you're getting advice from Dr. Michael Rice, or you're getting advice from Guy Finley, or you're getting advice from Matt Kahn, or anybody else, and it is... Uh, it contradicts with what feels right inside you, drop the other person's advice and live from the direct observation of, okay, when you make this choice in your life and it has this impact, this set of consequences, do you prefer it or not? And, you know, one of the things that um, came up on Tuesday's show we were talking about living by belief and uh, direct observation and setting boundaries and the difference between boundaries and manipulation, etc. And it might have come out even more Tuesday night in the support group. We were talking about what is a belief? Well, a belief is a constellation of old and therefore dead thoughts that have been so well rehearsed and practiced that we kind of crystallize them into a, um, a conclusion. And so if I'm living from belief, I'm living from the past. I'm living from an old, dead constellation of thoughts. I'm not living alive in the moment. I'm not living from direct observation. Well, so... In that same way, if somebody asks me, so are you saying that the healthy thing to do here is X, Y, and Z? The word healthy in that statement, in that question, is it, it, it's, the, it's the label for a belief. What do I believe is healthy? What am I going to label as healthy in this moment? And that's all it is. And again, in this work, we're strongly encouraging people to drop the beliefs. 
don't live your life because somebody else told you this is healthy or that is healthy. Live your life because as you're living your life and you're observing the impact of your choices and behavior and thoughts and words and interactions with others, you like, you prefer, or you do not prefer the consequences. And, you know, the essence of what is healthy as a, as a belief system, as a label, as a structure of thought, changes all the time. All the time. Within my lifetime, there have been television ads that were not actors, but actual medical doctors smoking cigarettes and recommending one brand of cigarettes over another. That would be, today, you would think that would be absurd. But it's an actual thing that's happened in my lifetime. People thought Wonder Bread was healthy. This white bread where all the nutrition is taken out of the flour and it's been bleached and then they put a few chemicals back in and call it, you know, fortified with vitamins and minerals. And and these days people know that's ridiculous. That's not healthy. So the label healthy is just a belief. It's just a thought that's been practiced. And if I'm living my life from an old dead thought or a belief, I'm not living in the present moment. So please do whatever you can to question everything anybody else tells you is healthy. And find out for yourself. Do you like the results you get when you engage that behavior or eat that food or abstain from that food? Or you make that choice in a relationship because we were talking about boundaries in a relationship and talking about if I say I'm going to do this and I follow through and do it, then I have effectively communicated to people what I think is acceptable and not acceptable. That's my definition for a boundary. And yet, if I set up what I think are my boundaries because I listen to such and such a teacher and such and such a teacher says this is right, this is good, this is healthy, this is bad, this is wrong, this should be avoided, I'm not living in observation. I'm not living my own life. I am living from the past, living from old dead thought. I am inviting, you know, the crystallization, the immobility, the rigidity that often leads to more suffering. And we're here advocating something entirely different. We're here advocating that people choose to wake up to what they're doing with their own thoughts, to wake up to observing directly what are the what are the results they're getting. You could call it consequences. You can call it results. You can call it impact. You can call it the ripple effects as they do in the Way of Mastery, Lesson 8. And just pay attention to how does it work out when you choose from your highest and best thought in any given moment what you want to say or do or believe or act from. 
and do that independently of what any other external experts or gurus or wise people would tell you because they don't know much of anything, just like you don't know much of anything. Absolutely certainly, for, for in, with deep certainty. And you know, as soon as I say that, I think about Byron Katie. And Byron Katie talks in her work about how she suffers, not from her negative thoughts. She only suffers when she believes her negative thoughts or when she argues for her negative thoughts. So if you have a negative thought and instead of believing it or arguing for it, you can begin to question it, which is exactly what Byron Katie does with her work and the worksheets that she puts out, you open yourself to transform your life experience. That's the invitation with this work. Don't find a guru. Don't find a master. Don't find a teacher so much as the teaching, the thoughts, the practices, the opportunities to, to choose again, to um, reevaluate whenever you are not preferring or enjoying the results of whatever you're choosing in the moment. So even this label of what's healthy is a belief. Unless, of course, you're in the direct observation in the moment and you say, oh, when I do this, it leads to pain or it leads to energetic disintegration or it leads to you know, more difficulty in my relationship. If it's that, if you're doing this basic direct observation rather than feeding a label and trying to live from the label, then you might be onto something. But if I'm going to do this because so-and-so said this is healthy or I know this to be healthy, and maybe it was in the past, but it may not be the right thing for you to be doing in this moment. It may not be the optimal thing for your growth, for your health, for your bliss state in this moment. It might have been something that worked really, really well for you 10 or 15 or 30 or 50 years ago. That doesn't mean it's the healthy thing to do in this moment or the most healthy or productive or loving thing for you to do in this moment. So I hope this is making sense. It came to me very clearly this morning as I was listening back to some of our discussions throughout last week and this week and and people asking me well are you saying that this is what's healthy or that is what's healthy and and i just sometimes i catch it in the moment and say that's not the point the point is how's it working for you but as a general rule i want to say when i say is this healthy or that's healthy that's a belief i'm discussing right now and the only way to find out is to act on it, and as Guy Finley says, I cannot take an action without life or truth letting me know if I'm on target or not. 
And so I observe in the moment. Do I prefer the outcome or the results of having made this choice in this particular situation? That's a that's light years away from deciding I know what's healthy and I'm going to do what's healthy because my teacher says this is healthy or this book says this is healthier. That's living from a belief just as much as saying um, the Apostles' Creed from the Catholic faith. And um, Susan Bingham, are you uh, available to put your hand up and discuss something you posted on Facebook? Susan, welcome. Hi, Dr. Tim. Hi. Do you know what I'm referring to? I might. It mentioned the creed in it. Right, right in this business of talking about belief versus observation, right? <clears throat> Being and doing versus believing. Right. What did you want to ask about it? Well, I just wanted to highlight it. I mean, I I, I saved it on my, uh, you know, in my Facebook list. But it, it's it's just the same kind of thing that we're talking about here that we're observing. We're not the only ones mm-hmm. making these observations, right? The uh, lots of people. So here's what you posted from Robin R. Myers. Is this a book, Saving God from Religion, a Minister's Search for a for Faith in a Skeptical Age? All right, so maybe that's a book and the subtitle. But what you posted was, consider this remarkable fact. In the Sermon on the Mount, there's not a single word about what to believe, only words about what to do and how to be. By the time the Nicene Creed is written at the Council of Nicaea, only 300 years later, there's not a single word in it about what to do and how to be, only words about what to believe. So, I believe in this and I believe in that has nothing to do with the deep wisdom of the original teachers. All the deep original teachers talk about living from observation, being and doing things a certain way, not believing this or that, not fighting for beliefs, not going to war for a belief. So I just thought I would highlight that and say it's, not just a novel teaching that comes up on the MindShifter support groups or on the MindShifters radio. It's ancient wisdom. Have you read that book that that quote is cited oh. from? No, I haven't. I just, somebody sent that. Uh, I'm a little bit rash. I often get into trouble for reposting things that I haven't even uh, considered all the way through. 
Someone will grab me and I'll repost it, and then somebody, some friend will say, how could you do this? Look at number six. I would never do that. And I look at number six, and I think, I wouldn't either, now that you mention it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's the whole thing is that that's what happens on social media is anybody can take pot shots at anything. Mm-hmm. I you know and and anybody can interpret what what you think is the most loving and and broad ranging they can interpret it as vile and negative and attacking and you can't stop them right so it takes a certain level of uh, thick skin and um toughness to put yourself out there on a regular basis in today's culture and the and the um social media Mm. Right, it's like I was, I was talking about this uh, a week or two ago with uh, Oprah, and Oprah and um, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, uh, did you know they put up five million dollars each. They just donated to this fund, and then they chose to put in the effort and the work to make sure that the money would go directly to the victims and their bank accounts. You know, not filling out a whole bunch of forms and this, that, and the other thing. And then they got blasted on social media. So, you know, it doesn't matter what you think is good or right or wrong. Other people can have an entirely different and sometimes absolutely opposite interpretation of it. Which is another reason why we talk about clarifying over and over again, teaching ourselves, training ourselves to understand, I create my interpretation and response and therefore my emotional experience to everything. The outside events don't create my experience, my emotions, or my reactions. And then, the more I practice that and I understand that, the closer I move to the day when I wake up and realize, oh, if those people and these outside events aren't causing my upset, nothing I'm doing is causing their upset. And that presents you with a level of liberty that words cannot describe. So as long as we consistently apply this set of observations, we can keep growing. As soon as we move out of observation into belief or dogma, we stop growing, we stop learning. Speaking of that, I have a question. I have been spending a lot of time observing, (laughs) but the feelings are still there. It's like I have two runners going side by side down a track. I know that these are just my beliefs. These are my thoughts about what I'm observing. And I, I'm i stepping away from it by saying that to myself, but I also still have the strong feelings. So... It isn't an either-or. It's like this thing that's going on, parallel universes. Well, and and when I have a strong emotion um, in this work, it invites me to 
explore how I'm creating that. And and I, I do it in a variety of ways. One of them is I ask myself, okay, so what am I making this situation mean? Another one that's is I, I ask myself, okay, what goal am I holding here that's not getting met? Right. And the point of both of those questions is to explore internally, inside my own mind, what I'm doing to create these energies. You're calling these you know, emotions or negative emotions, whatever you want to call them. Because once I discover how I'm creating them, if I say I don't like them or I don't want them, I can choose differently and create a different response and emotion and experience. That sounds very clear and clean and logical and easy. I don't find it easy. I find it like my purpose in life is to sort those out and really master them. And I like how tough these are. Say say this again. My my purpose in life is to sort what out and really what? (laughs) To sort out the hard feelings and the beliefs from what I know is just a neutral thing that I'm observing and to let the observing and let the knowledge that what I'm observing is a neutral thing have the upper hand. I feel as if I've gone down into a ditch and I'm fighting hand-to-hand battles with some Okay, okay, so, 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 so try this. You know how earlier you said that's a really good question when I said, what am I making this situation mean? Yeah. That may be one of your best keys gonna, for making yeah. progress okay. here. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, if I don't get clear about the meaning I'm giving something, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you were on the call for most of Tuesday's call because you called and thanked Doug for his, you know, courage yeah. and questions, et cetera. And um, in that discussion, I came back once or twice or three or five or 27 times to talk about can we just get clear about what we mean when we say this word or that word? What are we making it mean when we say a boundary or acceptable or not acceptable? Or So it's so important for us as individuals to get clear, to understand what are we making these words mean? Well, it's every bit mm-hmm. as important for us to get clear on what am I making this situation mean? That really is good. It's, it's a wonderful question. It fits right in. <clears throat> I had a person that I was dealing with. I might have mentioned this on the show. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. But and just on, on Tuesday, and she was... Uh, she came in very upset because she had come out to her brother and, you know, they're both of mature age and he said he supported her. And then several months later, she said, oh, hey, you know, our cousin is getting married and our cousin is gay and marrying someone of the same gender. And and she said, you might want to go on Facebook and congratulate our cousin. And he said, no, I won't be doing that. 
and she took it as a, a serious offense against her. She made this mean something very, very negative. And mm-hmm. we had to start sorting that out. What are you making this mean? And by the time the session was over, she had an entirely different set of meanings and understandings that she was able to create for herself about what that meant for her brother and how he was really actively doing things that were loving and supportive and respectful and you know contributing to her life at the same time he was able to say to her you know what if you got married as a gay person i wouldn't go to the wedding because it's against my beliefs so she could line that up and say this means he doesn't love me he's lying he doesn't really respect me he's not there supporting me or she could line it up and say wow even though it's difficult for him to do because it goes against his religion and beliefs, etc. He's still being very loving and supportive and financially and logistically supportive of me as a person. That's amazing. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this mean, wow, I can trust what my brother says because he'll tell me right out that, you know, he does approve of this or he doesn't approve of that or he would be at my wedding or he wouldn't. or And and yet he's treating me lovingly and gently and with respect. Even though we have very, very different beliefs about religion and morality, etc., sexuality, etc. She can choose the interpretation and as she chooses, she creates her experience. You know, you once said, if somebody, uh, never take offense, even if offense was intended. So Yeah, please don't if, take offense, even if it's intended. Yeah. yeah. That seems like a tremendous assignment and goal to have, to learn to do that. That's a tough thing for me. When somebody is intending to offend me, I... I often, well, I get mad. <laughs> I want to punch okay, him back. Okay, okay, okay. But but understand that it's just a quick way to say the core of all of this work, which is to recognize I'm creating my own offense. I create my own emotions. I create my own interpretation and response to every life event. Right? Mm-hmm. That's just a, that's like Guy Finley. He says in a really quick way, Basically, what I mean when I say, I'd like to tell you two things about yourself. You have the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment. (laughs) And the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment actually creates your experience of life in that moment. Guy Finley Mm -hmm. says, that Hayes guy, he's always using these too too many big words and this and that. I'm just going to say, as goes my attention, so comes my experience. Mm. it's the same thing it's just another it's a very short when I say please don't take offense even if it's offered it's just a very quick way to say hey look no one's making you feel offended you create your own emotions everybody creates their own emotions
So when you say that's a really hard thing, of course, if I've had decades of training conditioning me to believe that other people are causing my emotions and responses, yeah, I'm not going to turn that around in a in an instant and yet i can make tremendous progress on it day in and day out if i keep it top of mind and i refuse to keep playing the old negative tape which is by definition false and training myself to believe that people and things outside of me create my emotions eventually i will live along one day into the direct observation in life that I'm creating my own emotion, and somebody can come up to me and say they want to hurt my feelings and they want me to you know, know they think I'm ugly and stupid and fat and whatever. I can say, wow, <laughs> this person's really having a bad day. Bless their heart. Hope, hope your day gets better, and I move on. I don't need to take offense. Mm. I can. Right? They, could, they could say to me, hey, nice sweater, and I could say, what are you mocking my sweater for? <laughs> right. Right? I can, you know, Dr. Kim, I can go ahead. I was just going to say to observe something, to accept that it in itself it is neutral, would lead me to allow that to be taking place, or allow. Uh, well, I just it, stop it, there. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. What what you're saying is not something that follows. It's just a thought you have. What we're going for in this work, you might have heard Dr. Michael Rice talk about if, if there's a judge in a case in court, that judge wants the highest and best evidence to make a decision. And Whenever your mind has hostility or fear active in it, it's presenting you faulty evidence, corrupt data. So right now, there's a part of you that says, "Uh uh-oh, if I let this happen, I'm just going to let people walk all over me or do abuse to me or whatever. And that's not what this is about. No, I understand that. But I do okay, think so what were you what were you leading to when you say let just let me allow and that I just allow this? What were you leading to? Well, I should be specific because I can't. It's too abstract. <clears throat> I am observing our Michael in the basement. I'm observing, but I'm already. If I just neutrally observe his comings and goings, his non-doings and his doings, I would be able to be at peace with that. But as soon as I, and I'm hoping that I would breathe and allow him to be exactly who and what he is, accept him the way he is, And if I did that, I might actually like and maybe even love him and welcome him and enjoy his being here. But I'm doing all kinds of convolutions in my mind that prevent that from happening. Um, Cultural stuff, powerful cultural stuff comes in. And I'm just, I'm, as soon as it pops up, I'm doing breathing, I'm looking at it, but it's, I feel as if I'm sort of in a crash course you are. Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. You are. And and the point here is that if you do what's recommended here, it doesn't determine, it doesn't predetermine the conclusion or the outcome. Right. In other words, hey, just stay loving, and that means Michael will be living there until he dies or you die. That's not right. given. There's I see nothing that. In I this do work, see that. Right. There's nothing yeah. in this work that says if you just dismantle your hostility and fear and you're upset and you're that you you can't then reach the conclusion that it's better for him to move or for you yeah. and Tim to, to, you know, escort him out. There's nothing in it that says do this and then follow what I'm telling you you should do. Leave him there. That's the loving thing to do. Well, sometimes the loving thing to do is set a limit that forces somebody to make a choice for themselves. Because mm-hmm. the consequences of their choices are not what they prefer. You know, this leads into that whole thing about enabling, which yeah. is a term that people use a lot in terms of alcohol and drug use and stuff. And a simple, you know, a, a, a simple overview definition of that is, or, you know, an example of that would be, here's the dutiful wife. And they've got, uh, you know, some kids. And the husband's an alcoholic. And he's not mean or anything, but he drinks, he gets drunk, he passes out in the front yard. It's an embarrassment for the family. And, and you know, she has to, you know, wait up for him at night. And when he comes home, you know, he's, if he's got vomit all over himself, she has to clean him up and she has to get him in bed and she has to wake him and get him in the shower and pour coffee in him so he can get to work on time so he doesn't lose his job and, you know, hide that from his kids. And that's allowing him to maintain that behavior pattern while evading many of the negative consequences of his behavioral choices. That's what's called Mm. enabling. Yeah. Now, is it right? Is it wrong? I'm not here to judge that. I'm here to encourage people to take a look at what are the consequences? What are the ripple effects? How do you like those results? I guess it's more basic in one sense. I feel as if I need more information. I don't know who we're dealing with. Are we dealing with someone who needs to be in a protected environment, like a halfway house? Are we dealing with an overgrown child? Are we dealing with a mentally ill person whose mental illness doesn't really manifest in any dramatic way? It's just an inability to focus enough and take charge enough of his own life to do something to get himself into a more independent situation. One of the reasons I I stopped dead in my tracks during the judgment section is I, my judgment is a judgment of a person who's normal and capable, who isn't choosing to be enterprising enough to better his situation. But I'm not sure who I'm dealing with. He might not be normal. I know I'm going on this. I didn't even mean to come on the show, Doctor. Uh, Tim, you you invited okay, me on the okay, show. Okay, <laughs> Well, listen. 
thank you for you know putting your hand up. If you want to get off, that's fine. Let me just say this about what you're saying. This work is not about helping you decide what to do. This work is to identify that in the process of living your life, when you end up in turmoil, in upset, before you decide what to do, it is highly preferable to dismantle the turmoil and the upset mm-hmm. to whatever degree you can. And sometimes we don't have enough time to dismantle all the upset before life demands us uh, to make a decision. Or our, quote, refusal to make a decision means a decision is made anyway. So, yeah. as I mentioned before, you know, what I would like to leave you with is what you and Tim are doing in your lives, in your church, in your home, with your grandkids, is phenomenally good and positive. And it's on a scale comparable to Oprah and Nelson Mandela, et cetera, et cetera. So if you can't look at what you're doing and get grounded in just the gratitude for what you have with you and Tim and what resources you have and how you're geared to share that with others and generate good feelings inside of you, that's your work. Your work is not to decide what's right or wrong to do with Michael. The real work is can you be in the moment and choose loving gratitude, you know, Sometimes, you know, have you heard the term microaggressions? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've come to talking lately to people about, can you please generate some micro-affections toward yourself? Oh. <laughs> right? If you can't... <laughs> right, if, if you can't <laughs> jump to being a paragon of good self-care... Can you at least generate some micro-affections, some micro-gratitudes and appreciations? That's really our work, to, to recognize, and that's at the core of all of this work, is to recognize that this power of consciousness that is given to us, that's in our domain, right? it's our dominion, and we get to choose. We focus on upset or we choose to focus on gratitude and bliss that's a creative force and that's the only thing quite often the only thing we have control over in this work so can we encourage you to opt for micro affections toward yourself even if you can't feel fabulous about your life from start to finish can we get you to choose again whenever you're in upset and just have gratitude for your breath and gratitude for your life and gratitude for the part that part of you that keeps you driving to try to be a better person mm. and take some comfort in that in the moment and then breathe that comfort out and extend that in the energy field around you that is a nice assignment thank you and the question, what am I making this situation mean, is uh, terrific. It, you've said that before, but you know how it is with repetition. Finally, the moment comes when there's a need to hear that very thing, and that's really good. 
That's what I would encourage you to do. And if you want to get off the call, absolutely. I appreciate your being willing to just pop on a little bit there and talk about the post you made on Facebook because it is so good to have other people see the same thing. Right? No. This idea that we're living by belief is a real trap. It what leads it's what leads to our wars and our aggressions towards others and that the great mm-hmm. spiritual teachings from all traditions have more to do with being and doing in a certain way. Right. Oh, I agree. No, I don't mind being on the show. I just didn't have a question all ripe and ready. And you you usually get into reading and I love the readings. I, I, you've been wonderful. So well, and and you know you were you, you and you were presenting some stuff about your current situation and then voicing some frustration and I say, "Okay, good. We don't need to this is, doesn't have to be Sue's therapy hour. I'm just grateful for all, all right. the comments and questions, and uh, I'm not here to put people on a hot seat. <laughs> Good, thanks. That's the, that's the, the second hour. <laughs> of my shifters radio. More often than Maybe. not, yes. So I will remind us all that we have a support group coming tonight. I'm turning on the microphone for area code 541. I believe this would be Celinda. Are you there, Celinda? I am. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good, because I had to unmute. Um, Larry's in the the bathroom, so as soon as he leaves, um, I can talk a lot. What I would like to, or little, uh, what I would like to know is what is the name of that book by that pastor that you mentioned that Susan posted um, his quote? Or did Hold you on know? a minute. I'll try to, I, will, I will try to pull it up here. It's the, uh, the post uh cites Robin R. Myers, M E Y E R S. And after his name, it looks what it might be as a title of an article or a book. I'm not sure which is which, but its title is Saving God from Religion Colon A Minister's Search for Faith in a Skeptical Age. So it doesn't say whether it's a book or an article, but there's the title and the author. Great. Robin R. Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S, Saving God from Religion, A Minister's Search for Faith in a Skeptical Age. Great. Thank you. It sounds like something right up my alley. Okay. Did you have anything else to contribute? Or did you just yes, want to get was, that title? Uh, yes. One thought. I was um, listening to your and Susan's conversation, and um, there were a lot of bells that went off in me for myself that um, what Susan was expressing my understanding or meaning for it in relation to my life was that's my perfectionism 
kicking in, that I get confused about what's my work to do and what's um, Ruha's work to do. And um, when I'm in control or negativity, uh, I think I'm supposed to do Ruha's work and not mine. And mine is just to practice, ask to be shown, and then when I am shown, um, to practice, to practice, to practice. is a lifelong practice. And I had to chuckle when Michael said that after 50-some years he was uh, of doing this work, he sits down to watch these movies and he finds out, oh, my God, I have to do another worksheet. I don't have to. I'm going to run get my worksheet because of all of this anger and hostility and desire to punish and get revenge that all of a sudden comes up in me uh, uh, from just the actors acting out these characters in in these very brutal uh, movies. Um, I don't watch very brutal movies, but uh, because I think there's enough brutality in life itself, um, and I don't like nightmares, And at the same time, I know that I have to do my work. When it comes up, I have to do my work, which is uncover the goal for myself and the meaning that this means for me and what my emotion is and uh, deal with it. So for me, it boils down to am I practicing my disease of perfectionism again or am I practicing one step at a time in the now moment, doing what I can to dismantle all of this and and being clear on whose work is what? And that's all I had to share. Okay. Well, it's always a good thing, you know, to try and have some kind of a shortcut um, I'll call it um, sometimes even a mantra to help me remember what I'm, what I actually have control over, and how to stay focused on that. When a lot of times I'm going to be, as you say, trying to control things that aren't really mine to control. So, oh, I'm very good at that. <laughs> yeah, we all are, and mostly because we've been trained and conditioned to believe that things should be different than they are and that we, our little conscious logical mind is smart enough to figure it out how it should be. And that's just not the case. It's just not, it's never been the case. It doesn't stop the world from, you know, pushing that agenda. So, all right. Could you share one more time, guys? Finley is short, succinct, and very on-the-button quote that you said this morning. I've got it written down somewhere, but I'd like to write it on the yeah. He says, he says, as goes my attention, so comes my experience. Thank you. I love that. It's going to be a mantra of mine. And, you know, it, it's just a shorter way of saying my my admonition for people. I, when I say it, people say, what is that? Can, is it written down? So I have it, literally, I have them typed out to hand to people in my sessions. These two things <laughs> I'd like to tell you about yourself that might be true. Yeah, I want you to observe this for yourself. But if you're like most human beings, 
you have the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment. The second thing I'd like to tell you is that if you're like most of us human beings, it is the choice of your conscious awareness and its focus in each new present moment that actually creates your experience of life. Guy Finley, in an uncharacteristic move of of, um, efficiency of words, turned the phrase, as goes my attention, so comes my experience, to express the very same thing. Well, I like it expressed in both ways, so thank you very much for continuing to share that on the radio show. Repetition is one of the ways I learn. That's true for most of us. All right, well, thank you both, Susan and Celinda, for your input today. I will mute you so you can listen to the second hour. Um, Jeannie's here, so she knows that we both talk and we have talked to both of you and If you want to uh, put your hands up again, you'll need to press one twice on your phone for her to to be clear that you're um, dropping the hand and then raising it again. Uh, Today is Thursday, so we will have a support group tonight for anybody who's interested, whether you want to join us yourself or pass the information along to somebody else that you think might benefit. Either one will be fine with us. The information is available on mindshiftersacademy.org website. And I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff that we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate that. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Thursday, October the 5th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. And we'll give Michael a moment to dial in and hearing... What uh, he was just talking about, Guy Finley saying, as goes your attention from uh, Diedrich from Choose Again, and I believe this was yesterday, it says, he quoted um, another person, and it says, we are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be. He says, yes, hurt as long as I believe I am who I pretend to be, the pretending is exhausting and full of fear. Under that pretense lurks an evil creature, deathly afraid to be found out. I have to pretend better. If I drop the pretense and allow who I am to be who I am, a sense of ease, almost of gliding, fills my being. Pretty cool. Love Diedrich. I enjoy his daily and uh, comments. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with it, it, you can do a search on Choose Again and uh, click to subscribe to their daily sessions. And then there's another one that I get that is from uh, Dr. Tim had mentioned it the other day, and it's Educari Unlearning. And uh, their quote was, uh, the uh, being held, 
the alchemical tenderly held in the womb of the divine. So you can, there's lots of, of daily quotes that you can access and, and just, you know, help take you to a higher realm. I have one that pops up on my phone every morning at 8 o'clock and it asks me a question. And it might be, you know, anything from how are you feeling today to what's the most important possession that you have that makes your life easier. And then it had, that costs under $30. So I couldn't say my computer or my phone or whatever. Um, I finally came up with that it was my reusable glass bottle that I put water in every day. So it just is a way of getting you to think beyond, you know, what may be occupying your mind every morning when you first get up. And take a, get in the habit of taking several deep breaths when you first get up in the morning and, you know, thank God for the day. Thanking, you know, say thank you for allowing me another day this side of the grass. Um, gratitude, it takes you a long way. And I'm going to check with Michael and see if he's having technical difficulties. We're a couple minutes into the show. And um, after he gets on, I will share. I worked with someone this morning. I'm on. And Oh, hey. He was just um, arguing. I was just going to share. Oh, okay. Um, I was working with someone this morning, and they had a phenomenal breakthrough in doing a worksheet as if they were their mother. Their mother One of the best breakthroughs person. I've ever heard of. Gina, yeah. it was an awesome piece uh, of work. Um, it was it was just tremendous. You know, he's he's been dealing with, you know, he was trying to fix his mother all of his life and every relationship with a woman that he's been in all of his life has just kind of been a, a replication of, you know, I need to cue them, I need to fix them. You know, and if I can do that, then I'm needed. He was transferring, you know, to be needed instead of just being loved or cherished or whatever. And uh, that how he always felt like he, you know, fell short of the mark and that he was uh, not worthy. And so anyway, we did a worksheet as if he was his mother and he was the object of her attention. And what he put in there was that he was trying to control everything and was critical of her. And that created in her the feeling of um, fear and sadness. And the goal that his mother would want for him would be for him to be at peace and accepting of himself and feel loved, quote unquote. And so that she could be at peace with relaxing and taking care of herself. And when he let go of that, as if he were her, and took a deep breath, before he could even say what he felt or what his mom would have felt, the words out of his mouth is that he was perfect. And he was just, he sat there for so long without moving that I was beginning to think that our Zoom screen had froze. And then it was just like, wow. He said, I have always carried shame for being the trigger for her. And he said, you know, 
the not feeling worthy and all that, and that mom really saw me as perfect. And so it was it was a big aha. Well, my input on that Michael, one, sweetie. Yeah. Yes. In the most recent version of the power person worksheet, I actually divided the power person dynamic or the message that comes from the power person into two divisions. One being the active message that we get from a power person, you're broken. The other being a passive message, one that I make up myself that based upon their actions, and that being a passive power person dynamic. And what I hear Jeannie describing and what happened is that what stilled him, what took him into, I mean, it sounds like almost a physiological still point, was the healing of one of those core power person messages, a passive one, one that he made up about himself based on his interaction with this power person. And it's just like when she shared with me, that whole dynamic was just like, ah, yes, yes, that's it, that's it. That's the moment that each of us needs to get to with each of those messages that we've bought into. So, you now as she shared that, and and physiologically what he did to me was it just said, this is like one of the major breakthroughs of his life, one of the major healing moments. So it's pretty sweet, pretty cool. Nice work, sweetie. You do good work with people. It's awesome. I was also, you know, just... Thank you. Yeah, yeah, just amazing. What a gift to give to a human being. And what a piece of healing for a human being, you know, the work he did, his end of it, Jeannie was the support and and the uh, inspiration for it, but it was a piece of work that he did that brought something new into the world, and that's what we need more and more of to build that critical mass is individuals who do that piece of work for themselves. When Yeshua says, a little leavening leavens whole loaf, he's not talking about bread. He's talking about critical mass in physics. He's speaking through the brain cells of a physicist when he says, a little leavening leavens whole loaf. And each person who does that piece of work makes it easier for every other person who has that piece of work to do to be able to do that. It opens the space. It strengthens the energy window for everybody else to pass through that. And and that's like, to me, that's reason for monumental celebration. Anybody goes through that door, however they do it. So it's pretty cool, pretty cool to hear. And it's pretty cool that we get to continue this conversation, to continue this Continue deepening this understanding of these dynamics of healing. And the willingness to take the tools into deeper places within ourselves. 
because in that place where we have this collective connection, everybody benefits from each piece of work that anyone does. So it's um, just like to me, huge celebration. It's akin to, you know, you go back to the way the, the, the metaphorical principle behind it that's spoken about in churchianity. And, you know, there's a conversation about how there'll be a celebration in heaven when another soul comes home. <laughs> and that kind of puts it into some kind of religious context and some kind of, you know, whatever, whatever that is as opposed to something that applies where we live and that we can be this space with and for each other, just, you know, doesn't matter where it is, you know, in the car driving somewhere and on the telephone and a Zoom meeting and, you know, wherever, that when we choose to be that space, when we choose to do that level of work, that we create this opening that... applies in real life but has been misinterpreted as something otherworldly. There's nothing otherworldly about anything except the state of being that each of us lives in as who we are. And the idea is to bring that to earth. So, and part of that, of course, is breathing. So I find myself breathing in a, on a different level, opening a different space. Terry, who was, you know, called into the show last several times the last just the last few days, he was getting some deep dental work done to, this morning. So anybody, if everybody would just hold a space for Terry, sending love in the direction of his mouth for comfort and ease and fast healing of everything that was done some old dental work that needed to be redone and it was pretty intense. So Terry, we just uh, extend love in your direction, hold the space. And uh, Ms. Sini, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Any questions from the app? Well, what's happening? It is all quiet. I stepped away for just a second to check a video that I was uploading, and so I'm not sure if Susan pressed one again, but I'm going to turn on her microphone and see. She may just be a leftover hand up from Dr. Dan. Well, Miss Susan, how are you, young lady? Are you with us, Susan? Well, maybe she stepped away from the phone. No, I'm there. I had muted myself after Dr. Tim finished. Sorry, guys. Yeah, hi. Ah, that old mute challenge. Been there, done that. Yeah. Um, I'm doing How okay. How do you be? I'm, I'm okay, you know, very well, but um, working on my junk <laughs> ongoing. Um so what kind of junk I, uh, is up for you today? 
That's the usual. Um, Dr. Tim had said something on the show that he had mentioned before, but it really struck. What am I making this situation mean? I haven't done anything about it, but I've got that down, the way of thinking my situation and my mainly, you know, with Michael downstairs. Um, I have a lot of goals from which I'm dismantling as best I can. Um, just attempting, trying to be neutral, observe, allow. Um, can you hear me all right? I had the phone in a funny position. Yes. You hear okay? You're good. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, it's such an opportunity. What would it be like if this person lived with us and we came to love him and celebrate his being here and enjoy his company? What's keeping us or me from doing that? I'm not doing that. I know, I know, I know. My hand is up, my hand is up. Go for it. You're not experiencing yourself as love? Right. And you think the solution is in loving him? That would help. Because not experiencing love in your physiology has nothing to do with Michael. It has everything to do with you. Why are would you withhold the experience of who you are as a human being from yourself in this circumstance? What is the meaning you've given? What is the reality that you're holding that withholds from you your experience of yourself as love? Breathing with you. Well, if I... If I, uh, I don't know how, to, I, I know what, I see what you're driving at. <laughs> it would be very dangerous to do that. Mm, tell me, if you could tell me what that means. Um, well, I would be used up. I would disappear. So let me see, let me see if I understand. So my, my take is that you've already allowed yourself to disappear and you've made up a reality that standing in this situation with this person and experiencing yourself as love, dangerous. Say the first part again, please, Michael. What I'm hearing you say, and I'm trying to clarify to see if I'm hearing you correctly, is that First of all, when you say, I would disappear, 
The truth is, if you're not experiencing yourself as the presence of love in this circumstance, you've already disappeared. You've left the scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And you've left the false self behind to interact in this situation. And then, and then to say it would be dangerous to function as love, to be my pure state of being in this situation. I don't, I don't even know where to put that. What does that mean? That's what I'm trying to catch, get from you. I think I understand, though, what you're saying. Um, um, Tim Hayes said, you know, just because if you became, you know, you, you were loving, it wouldn't necessarily mean keeping. It might, it might mean finding a way to have him leave. And then he talked about enabling. Oh, what are we doing here? Are we enabling? And, of course, right back, I have answers for that. Like, if he were a regular person, and maybe he is, but I'm not sure he isn't mentally ill or um, delayed in his maturing, even though he's not stupid, perfectly smart. Right. Uh, um, I second-guess myself. I think we need to give this to him because he's just one of a million people who are out on the streets who need a place to stay and would do very well and be much happier staying in a place. And we're offering, it's like the starfish. Well, there are so many out there, but this affects one of them. It's made a big difference, 100% difference for this one. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, So what would be dangerous about being being yourself in this situation? Oh, if I were myself, the self that I'm aware of being right now, it wouldn't be love. It would be... It would be um, not nice. But but what I'm what we're talking about is you functioning in this situation as the being that you truly are as love. And your mm-hmm. response was that would be dangerous. That's what I'm trying to get to. What? How does that connect? Yeah. Well, here's I'm my making take. false connections. Okay. Yeah, here's, here's what I'd offer. If we go back to yesterday's conversation where you spoke about how when you're doing your music and you're shining and you're in being and you spoke about love as being, you know, extended everywhere your words were that Tim described you in that situation as not being there Mm. in other words functioning out of your persona rather than your being and my offering to you yesterday was no 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 when that's when you are there. That's when you show up. It's the other times that you're not there. When you're functioning out of that other self, that you're not there. So when I hear you in this conversation today and putting in the context of yesterday's conversation, when I hear you say to 
be there functioning as love would be dangerous, I, I think you're giving yourself perhaps a message about the real piece of work that you need to do. That's kind of at the core of everything. I mean, literally everything in your whole life. And maybe this is a power person message. I don't know. Either passive, one that you made up, or one that you actually got. But when I hear you say that, what I hear you saying is, for me to enter into the world, it kind of what it what it resonates is a, a line from a very poignant song. about Vincent Van Gogh. And the line in the song is, this world was never made for one as beautiful as you. And that very early, I suspect, what I hear you perhaps pointing to, and I'm suspecting that you're pointing to, is that you made a very early decision that this world was never made for you and that it's dangerous to show up. And therefore you have a construct in your mind that inhibits you and warns you away and pushes you away even when you want to show up. And when you collapse that one, that dynamic will change. And you'll recognize that it's safe for you to come into this world. Fully, totally, completely. Who was it that said... Go ahead. I'm complete. A couple of days ago, and I wrote it down in a notebook, but I don't know who said it, whether it's you or in a book or something, it said... Choose the the capital S. But if you do, not everybody's going to like you. So when I'm teaching, I, I think I am probably in a pretty pure ego state or whatever it is. And I do feel as if it's a state of power and purpose and ease and it flows naturally. Um. And if I took that downstairs into the kitchen when Michael comes up from the basement holding his dog as if he's the crown jewel and talking to his dog saying, you're okay, you're okay, don't worry, you're okay. Putting him outside to do his business, walking around the yard looking like an enormous angel and picking up that dog and bringing him in. Don't worry, it's okay, you don't have to worry. Talking to himself, talking to the dog. I feel as if there's no place for me to be the powerful person who teaches dance. I'm like shoved into a corner. I'm not even making sense when I say this. Oh, yes, you are. You're describing a power person dynamic perfectly. You're making 100% sense. Okay. 
I'm going to put it to you to sort that one out then. Well, I'm thinking that, and I'm not sure, but what you're referring to about the conversation you had today and who said it, I know I didn't say those words, but you might have been talking about the situation where we were talking about Yeshua and that when someone shows up at 100% vitality, it raises the vitality of everybody in the environment. Mm -hmm. Therefore, everybody in the environment goes into a healing crisis. And it gets crazy. That's why we're taught very early to tamp it down. Too much vitality. I don't want to feel what's coming up for me when I'm in your presence because you strengthened me so much I can no longer hide from myself. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're referring to? Connect that, Michael. Okay. Can you say well, it my another way? Would be I guess the the bottom line for me would be that it's safe to show up. We had somebody at Heartland. Uh, There you go. When did that start? My mom never used that. Sounds Sounds like it was some pretty vile attack. What word I don't did know your where mom that use? came from. Who do you think okay, you are? There, was that mom's statement? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think you are a being straight out of the love of God. And I'd support you showing up in your life 24-7, 365. Just because that's what we're designed to do. Well, that might mean that others are going to go into their own healing crisis and do their projections, yes. But if I process what's in me about what they have to say, then I've healed me in that circumstance. What they're saying can't hurt me. But if I interpret it through brain cells of hurt, which very likely would be a generational pattern, then of course Mm -hmm. everything they can say hurts me. Yeah. For me, 
having been involved in this conversation about Michael since the beginning. Yeah. My take is that you and Tim Bingham are showing up pretty powerfully as generous, giving, overflowing presence. And I hear that Michael's response to that resonates a different part of you that is he's bringing up for healing in you. Mm-hmm. And I'm in full agreement with what Tim shared with you, Tim Hayes shared with you that you mentioned a moment ago, that being love in his presence might mean looking for a pathway for him to be taken care of in a way that you're not equipped nor required, nor should you be mm-hmm. required to do it. So that yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in agreement with him. I'm percent with that. I can I can go there. That's okay. And it's even been better because I've been saying I got an application in the mail the other day for him to fill out, but I'm doing it. And it's okay. I can do that. I don't want to keep doing it. I would like him to grab hold and make some calls and start working on it. Take his some responsibility. Future. Yeah. Yeah. And it, but it isn't as if I can't. It isn't as if I don't have time. Something in me gets pissed off. I get it up already. You know. And this is what I'm working with. The bitch. So my input to you would be, so it's time to heal your pissed off part, and it's perfectly okay from that space of being in that space of love to just say, you know something, Michael, this isn't my job, it's yours, and you need Mm -hmm. to do it. You know, I think that's a perfectly fine place to be. Mm -hmm. But if you're coming from a place of defensiveness, then very likely it's going to arouse some of that name-calling toward you. And it might arouse some name-calling anyway, but if you're connected to love, you'll look and go, hmm, it looks like you have a problem in the fact that this support I'm offering you to you looks like a good reason to call me a name. That's so true. That's good. I can see how either one would happen. But hearing what you say, I feel more prepared to see it in a more neutral way, not not just as an attack. Well, ultimately, the the core, you know, it's kind of like, were you on the show at the beginning when Jeannie shared the person she was just working with and is opening? Yes, I heard that. That's amazing. So my take would be that you're going to have a similar experience and opening when you clean up that part of you that thinks that for you to show up in the world as who you are is dangerous. When you clean up the component in you that generates that gestalt, then that's going to be one of those 
breakthrough and opening moments for you. To recognize that, yes, this world was made for one as beautiful as you. And it's safe to show up as that magnificent, connected, alive, vibrant life fulfilling her purpose, which I suspect when it happened in your early youth, I believe it happens with a lot of children, it's like tap it down, tamp it down. I can't handle that much aliveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been reading a book by Frank McCourt. I forget the title of it. It's a trilogy. It's an autobiography about his childhood, Irish Catholic. Man, you talk right. about churchianity combined with the stifling of everything that is alive and curious in a child. Yeah. It's anguish. I don't know if you've read this book. It's beautifully written and very funny, but right. That's just yeah. Just poignantly sad. Yeah, just amazing, and it's amazing too that he came out the other end, a massively talented writer who healed himself by telling his story. making it powerful, making it uh, um, funny that he could see it from that perspective. But it is, gosh, talking about damning of the worst aspects of Roman Catholicism Mm. back then. Anyway, Mm. and I also had a question about the mind shifter you gave me, which I didn't get to first base with, because in actuality, it wasn't true in the way that you meant it. My people always embraced me fully as one of the sweetest, most wisdom-filled persons in his or her life. Well, in a lot of ways, I was well taken care of. But that is just not true. And so I could have filled out so 14 pages of not right true. Side. Well, that's what yeah. I want you to do is fill out those 14 pages. Uninhibited. Nothing is, you know, everything, your calendar is clear, your phone is off, you're in the room by yourself. Tim Bingham knows he's not going to refer to you or raise his, uh, a word to you for the next six hours, and you're just going to sit and write and fill all of that out. That's the idea of the mind shifter. Because but in actuality, that, it wasn't true, Michael. What do you that's want me to right. Do that's what you put three? on the right-hand side of the page. In actuality, it wasn't true. That's it. Okay. That's the purpose of the of the mind shifter. And then do your brain dump from there. Well, it wasn't true because. Well, it wasn't true when this happened. Well, when they did this. Well, what about this? Well, what the hell? Did, why should I ever? That's what you want to put on the right side of the page. It I wasn't see. true. Mm-hmm. The idea of the mind shifter mm-hmm. isn't that it's true. The idea of the mind shifter is to show you everything in your mind that you're holding on to that you need to process out that inhibits you from showing up as conscious, active, present love with that sweetness and that genius. Every bit of rage, every bit of fear, every bit of terror, every bit of trauma that's in there, you want to dump on that page. 
so you can go back and look at it. You know, I mean, let yourself just get lost in it. I can remember times when I've done mind shifters and I go back and I look at it and I, and I go like, holy crap, did I write that? Where, I don't even remember writing that. Where, where did that no. I don't remember ever even thinking or believing anything like that, but there it is in my handwriting on the page. Yeah. That's what you want to do is get to look at your unconscious. That's what the okay. mind is for. It isn't about pretending something's true that isn't. If you pretend something's true that isn't, they call that an affirmation. But this is a catalyst that you get to touch into the deepest parts of hurt, of pain, of rage, of hatred, of vengeance, of grief, of loss, of set, whatever it is, and you just dump it right out there on the page. So you can go back to it in a conscious place and go, so here are the details of what's in my unconscious mind. And now what am I going to do to clean them up? What am I going to do to deal with this piece of it? What, am I, what tool am I going to use to clean up that horrific understanding of life? So yeah, 99.9% of mind shifters that I would offer to somebody are not true. It's not the objective of them to be true. The objective is to bring up what's unconscious about that issue. So that when you get the opportunity to become conscious of what is unconscious, you get the opportunity to clean it out so it's no longer there. So that's following the scriptural instruction that says, hear the heart, take care of the unconscious. That's how you take care of it. You dump it out and you go back and you clean it up and you heal it. That's great. You know, Michael, uh, I... You call this targeted journal writing, or Dr. Tim does. One, you call it a mind shifter. He calls it targeted journaling. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's very interesting how I have never put those two together, even though it's nobody's fault of my own. I have been going into the park in the early morning, just at dawn, turning on my recording on my phone or, or my, the dictating part. You can dictate a note. It's always a right. too many commas, sure. weird apostrophes and stuff. But it's all there. <laughs> right. And talk right. into it. That's mm-hmm. been my method of journal writing. And Dr. Tim gave me a, an assignment two weeks ago or three weeks ago to do that. I'm still doing it every morning. Every nice. morning there's more, 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 more. It's not on this topic, but it's it's on core the it'll be, it'll get to this topic because it ends up being the same yeah this one i can yeah i can imagine doing that just take you the directly there yeah yes perfect and it's all written down and it's all there and i've looked at it i call i i i, I title each day's work Crux one, crux two, crux three, crux of the issue. This is it. And go after it. It's been great. But Fenelon is visiting me all the time because of that. <laughs> he's, he's become your, your bedtime companion, has he? <laughs> I know. Practically. Yeah. 
I know. I appreciate that guy. Well, so, you know, when you when you think about what psychologists say about, you know, 80, 90, 95, perhaps as much as 98%, I've heard psychologists estimate it, 98% of our thinking is unconscious. When you think about that from the point of view of, and this is just my thesis, I've never heard this from anybody else, but my take is, as human beings, we are not designed to have an unconscious mind at all. Nothing should be unconscious in us. The only reason we have an unconscious mind is because of our denial and dissociating from things. So to me, half of the work is uncovering what we've dissociated from so we can clean it up. And that's what every tool is about, whether you call it, you know, targeted journaling or you call it a mind shifter Mm -hmm. or you call it a worksheet or you call it the commitment or you call it a a power person worksheet. You know, each of the tools is designed to uncover, expose us to what's running us that we don't know is running us, what we've dissociated from. And then Mm -hmm. in coming back into conscious relationship with it, as active present love, enlisting the support of Ruka de Kutcha, it dissolves. That's all. It just it's gone. And when you start to think about, you know, how long ago do you suppose it was in your bloodline or mine that somebody decided they were going to do a mind shifter and clean up all of the unconscious dynamics in their family system. I don't know about you, but I sure can't conceive of anybody, you know, when I think about, I mean, I had some wonderful, you know, in in my early life, some of the people around me that were family that were wonderful people, but I guarantee you they never thought of having this conversation and couldn't have, you know, thousand years probably and I can't fathom that there's anybody you know knowing the stories of you know hearing about what my dad came up with in Glasgow Scotland a tough you know street kid in Glasgow Scotland what my mother came up with with brothers that were basically violent drunks Mm. I can't fathom anybody in the family system that ever said hmm I wonder what dealing with my, I wonder what would happen if I took care of my heart, my unconscious. Uh, there were a lot of church people in it, but I guarantee there wasn't one of those church people that would have gone, oh, I'm not here to pray to God. I'm here to open my heart and look at what's hiding there and go back into direct relationship with the presence of love in me. I, I don't, I can't fathom there was anybody for, in any generation I can imagine. There might have been. Mm-hmm. Mm. So if oh, you're the early adopter, before. what is there to clean up? I mean, it's, you know, it's phenylon in spades. No kidding. And you know, you say ask Ruka. Well, Ruka is around, I'm sure, but I'm still in such a muddle about so many of these things that I wish... Ruka would step it up. Yeah. Well, remember that the only thing that inhibits Ruka's ability to step up is Why our Wyatt Michael, don't even say it. <laughs> our unwillingness. You see, yeah. if, if I 
have a use for this. Well, you know, okay, I recognize that this hostility is ruining my experience today, so I'm going to get rid of my hostility. But I actually, Rook, I want you to take this away because it's really terrible and it's really hurtful. I'm really suffering from it. I really want to be rid of it. But if you would, just leave a little piece of it in my back pocket in case I need it. I just nullified all my willingness. And, you know, there's a whole section in The Course in Miracles. might be a good time to go back and look at that on the development of trust. It's going to take trust to, to, let, to let it go to that point where, I mean, think about that early lesson. In my defenselessness, my power and safety lie. Oh, yeah. I'm going to let go of every defense, every ability to proclaim there's a reason why somebody else is responsible for this and I'm the innocent victim. It's it's like, you know, like putting on a big pair of shoes. <laughs> and who's willing to go there? And I think, you know, there, okay. there, there, somebody, somebody cartooned on my Facebook page not long ago, and it was two little kids kind of like skipping down the idyllic roadway to what was obviously, you know, the idyllic place off in the distance, the sunset with the blue sky. And the caption was, we're just walking each other home. Yeah. We're just walking each other home. That's it. Back to where we belong. And we've strayed so, so far from home that it seems like it's become impossible to find our way back. One writer wrote, Our mother's lectures, our father's homilies, are all born and bred in us. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is these things that keep us from going back home. Yeah. That's all this radio show's about. Is walking each other home. You was it in the to, to me? You to me, me to you, and all of us. Mm. In the gospel, what thought? Um, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Michael, (sighs) guess what? (laughs) <laughs> You're doing deep breathing, and I'm already, my mind is skittered right off all that, but I've got it, I do. My friend, Jenna, is using my Avacyn again. I, I used it for my hand. Right. I saw the doctor and all that stuff, and the doctor said, your hand is doing great. There is some swelling. It's going to take a long time. 
just keep doing what you're doing, which is playing the piano, among other things. Anyway, so I've given it back to her. She loves it. And she's taking a balance class. And she told her class about the accident. And one man, I, I shouldn't tell you this because it hasn't happened, but one man is very interested in it. And she's talking it up. I just wanted you to know you have a little agent out there. <laughs> Awesome. Singing awesome. the praises of the Avacyn. And she also says she has a blood clot problem and the clots get dissolved using the Avacyn. Yes. Yes. So. And as a matter of fact, it, actually one of the first people that bought an Avacyn from me is a gentleman who I have known for several years. And about three years earlier, he had a stroke. Whoa. And before he was working with a physician, and one of the exercises this physician had given him before the stroke was a balance exercise, holding a particular posture and holding balance, which mm-hmm. he could do for a full minute, which for him and according to his doctor, you know, this is a guy who's in his 70s, uh, it was a, a, an accomplishment for him to be able to do that for a minute. And when he had his yeah. stroke, he couldn't hold he couldn't hold that posture for two seconds. What? And after about a week on the Avacyn, he was back up to thirty seconds. Wow! Right? Yeah. And and the speech impediment that he had from the stroke was gone within a week of putting his hand in the Avacyn every day. Wow. So breathing with you. And thank you. Well, I feel uh, energized or empowered is better better word. Boy, you and Dr. Tim really, you're like these tandem gurus. And I know that sounds as if I'm putting you on a pedestal. I'm not. I'm not. He's always harping a lot. Don't put people on pedestals. I'm working very hard not to put. That's why I rib you freely, Michael. I'm not putting you on a <laughs> And that's fine. <laughs> but I hear anyway, your speech. I know what you're really doing. No, I know. Quiet about it. I use the wrong responsible communication. <laughs> <laughs> well let me let me just say that you know, the reason I'm saying thank you for this conversation is because this conversation just your interaction here just pulled more tears out of me than I've had flow in a long time. So I'm appreciating it. Oh, don't tell me that. That's really incredible. You're going to break my heart. <laughs> no, we'll probably heal our hearts. Yeah. Careful where your speech goes. I know. So what was it about it that got you? It's it's not intellectual. It's not cognitive. It's just... I think it's mostly tied to appreciation. 
longing for what's possible and what we're really here for. Like, mm. what have we been doing? What have we been doing? Oh, my God. And I've got a pulse going on in my cranium like I rarely get. Definitely something breaking loose and moving. A lot of grief moving. What about Michael? About what we're here to do that we haven't been doing as human beings? You've been doing it. What more can you do? You've been Heal my flat grief out about for when years, it hasn't Michael. been doing it. Yeah. And and what I can do is look at, feel, deal with, heal, breathe through the grief when I didn't and when it hasn't been and whatever the underlying energies are. I think you're asking too much of yourself. You've been flat out for years. So if you bump up against a glitch once in a while, that would be expected. Pulses going off all over in my body. <laughs> I've got my hand in the abyss and it's just pounding like a, <laughs> I don't know what. Jeannie, you better take care of that guy of yours. Bring him a 
Oh, he's he's rocking. He's doing well. This is not a complaint by any stretch. This is oh, appreciation for a space that, to me, is precious. You know, to me, it's good. like what I work towards, what I head toward, and it's so precious. Right now, there's a restrictive energy that's going, been going up the back of my spine that I can just feel softening and opening. And it's just leading to pulses opening in different parts of my structure. So. So what I'm saying, I'm saying with appreciation. For the support and the assistance in opening space. So, young lady, we're down to the last minute or so, and we'll be holding the space for that mind shifter that you're going to dig into and just let blast. Okay. And I'm sitting with you. And join you in it. I got it. I got it. I receive it and appreciate it. Walking each other home. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about that session Jeannie did with that gentleman this morning. It's like, <laughs> she got him home. <laughs> yeah. That's you know, that it's like, too. It's monumental. It's just, it's monumental. So the show, the, the, the show is going to cut us off any second now, so I'm just going to say mucho, mucho gusto. Thank you. They're not at my All right, blessings. Bye-bye. You too.